Brianda. I live in Brisbane, and I would like to say good day from Oz. Are you a moon landing conspiracy theorist? Then listen to this. Kubi, this is Atsop. Atsop, this is Kubi Sink. We are locked on to ADS-2. Enter command 130. Command 130 is entered and verified. Execute on your mark. Command 130 executed at 1755 even. Camera 2 is on. Wow, look at that. Beautiful. Okay, that was fake. But the rest of this interview isn't. And right at the end, there's a story that very few people know about the moon landing. Enjoy. While here on Earth most of the cities are in some form of lockdown mode, up in space it's business as usual, with far more than the regulated 1.5 metres for social distancing. At the beginning of September, SpaceX Falcon 9 launched approximately 60 satellites into orbit for the X-Starlink broadband network from the Kennedy Center in Florida. Nowadays, it's considered an extreme necessity for the populations down below, relying on this form of communication. There are many more to follow from different launch pads all around the world, including the spy satellite Cargo, for the U.S. National Reconnaissance Office. In fact, since Sputnik 1 escaped Earth's gravitational pull in October 1957, there has been almost 5,000 rockets and satellites launched into space. Of course, Sputnik paled into significance in 1969 when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin actually walked on the moon, And indeed, although that extraordinary achievement has been repeated at least a dozen times since last year in those halcyon pre-COVID days of 2019, the space industry celebrated its 50 years since that momentous achievement. But according to my guest, Pat Heatherman, the space industry was well underway long before 1969. In fact, back in 1966, about a hundred highly skilled young men around the world were making their way to a little area just a few kilometres southwest from Brisbane to set up the Kuby Creek tracking station, which was to preclude the big event, that is, the proposed moon landing. Now, just to put the time warp into perspective... Elvis was still swinging his hips. The Beatles were giving journalists lit. We're more popular than Jesus. John Kennedy was pleading, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And since the launch of Sputnik 1 in 1957, Russia was still leading the race for space. Pat Heatherman was one of the original Kuby Creekers, who now being well into their 80s, suit the double entendre far more now than they did back in the early 1960s. Yet, not surprisingly, Pat's memory of being invited by NASA to join one of their teams is still very clear. So you were in the Navy, weren't you? Yes, I was. Okay, so you were a married man with three kids. You were in the Navy. I was in the Navy and I was stationed at Weymouth. Right, and you had skills... On a helicopter base. You had skills in... 
electronics. Electronics. Yeah. So fact, did they hunt? Did they headhunt you, or did you no, go looking for a job? No, I was looking for a job, and I'd applied for jobs all over the world because I didn't want to stay there because the weather just enough to give you the heebie-jeebies. I was trying to get to Hong Kong. Actually, that was yeah. my prime objective. Australia's pretty close to Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it's half a world away from where I was. I was in the Institute of Technician Engineers, and they have a monthly newspaper, a trade newspaper with all these different articles about technology, etc., developments and industry, and they have job adverts. And I happened to see this one for Australia in the space industry. And I was written a lot of applications out, and I had heaps and heaps of CVs, and that's so I said, oh, well, one more. What? Let's go back, though. You, you say space industry. Was there really a space industry back in, what, 60? This would be 1965. So we had Telstar and some Yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Um, things were in orbit, you know, like the big balloon and stuff like that. Intelsat had been launched, or one of them. And so it was growing, and it was uh, a NASA space, um, but it was advertised as a space tracking station. Oh, well, sounds all right. Let's give it a go. And as you went through various, yeah, quite a lot of interviews and uh, with various government departments as well, um, and so it developed, I thought, well, that'll do. All the interviews were in London. Right. And I think two of them were at Australia House. And one was at uh, Queensland House. And that was it. And I was give, uh, given the offer of going to Western Australia to Carnarvon or going to Toowoomba in Queensland. And I looked at the at Western Australia and thought it was too much desert from there. And I'd been in Saudi Arabia for a while. So I thought Toowoomba looks good to me. And it was. You would have met up with your, what were going to be your colleagues which were about a hundred of them all together, weren't there? Yeah, total a uh, hundred technical people, and then there was about fifty support staff, you know, like in the canteen, storming and things like that. And then you all go out to Kuby Creek, which was just—they were already there, someone. They were there, okay, yeah. in caravans or equivalents. Yeah, they were. It, it, the station was still being built there, and of course, it was built uh, transportable units, so they were really trailers with wheels on them, and they drove them into position, took this prime mover away, bolted them down or stood them up on jacks and uh, connected the cables up and there was a station. Simple as that. So once you're out there, what what was your normal day's work? Literally that, just a normal day's work? Well, originally we were still building the station. Okay. Because uh, we had to put together the big antenna, the 40-foot parabolic dish, which came in pieces and all that, and we had to uh, put all the the cables together, get the power supply because it's American standard, so it's 106 to 15 volts. <laughs> so we had to do, um, use the, uh, our own generators. So we had to work all that out and then get the, the equipment fired up, make sure it was working all right, calibrate it, etc., etc. Were that the Americans there? Were Americans um, out there? There were a few Americans oh. um, for the uh, building of the antenna, but that's about it. So then what? Well, we uh, did what you call simulations, but we've been doing some of those uh, for a period of time. Um, NASA came out, they brought out a, a force engineer aircraft full of equipment and it flew, flew very high and we were tracking it like as if it was like a spacecraft and calibrating the system, checking people out. And, of course, there was multiple shifts, so they had to do it several times, about five times each shift. Um, and that was a... 
trying time because the engineers on the aircraft would put in a fault, a simulated fault, and they watch how you reacted to that fault, whether you did it intelligently or stupidly, you know. You could do your job in that. That was real tense time. That was worse than uh, real flight. And all this time there was another tracking station um, down south? Oh, there were several. Several, okay. And there were, were several they? around Australia. I mean, if you just go down to Canberra, which is uh, the hub of the space tracking industry in Australia, still is, um, there was a rural valley, Honeysuckle Creek was being built, Tidbinbilla was in existence, uh, out in uh, South Australia was Island Lagoon at Woomera. Um, over in the west there was Carnarvon, and then up there was one in the northern, up towards the top end of uh, Western Australia. I can't remember what that was. So there was quite a few around. Yeah. Were they similar to your particular No, unit? they all had different jobs. The Honeysuckle Creek was being built for manned spaceflight. Tidbinbilla was deep space, but also manned spaceflight. Um, Carnarvon in Western Australia was what, one of the first downrange after the Indian Ocean. So they used to monitor and track, uh, after launch phases of various so, rockets. So and stuff. it was a real industry. Oh yeah, yeah. it was huge. Yeah. 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 And was it all NASA from NASA? Yeah. Or, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The Russians hadn't got their foot in the door then. No. No, I, I was just thinking, though, on the political level, uh, which is beginning to um, show its head now, mm. that it was a sort of co-pro. You know, you've got oh, the yeah. country and the landscape. We've got the manpower That's and the That's right. Expertise. We're in the right place. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Australia didn't have enough expertise because that to import most of the engineers and technicians because mm. Australia didn't have enough spare at the time. Because, you know, you take 100 at Kuby, there'd be 150 at uh, Biller and, and Carnarvon. Uh, it was a huge complex spread all over the countryside. So, you know, like if you're looking at two or 3,000 people, I suppose, well, Australia uh, electronic industry didn't have that many people. So once you're up and running, um, at that stage, the space race, as we know it, very soon came underway then. Sure did. It? Yeah. Yeah, our first launch was... Um, in December 66, uh, when ATS-1's spacecraft was launched, and it was a very successful launch, and it was put in uh, stationary, what we call geosynchronous orbit, in the middle of the Pacific. Very successful, very successful spacecraft indeed. Yeah, we learned an awful lot from that. And how was this documented? Because once again, this is pre-internet days, so there would have had to have been quite a lot of just simple administrative support staff, I'm thinking. Yes, there was, because everything uh, went by uh, telex. All the messages went by telex. So we had uh, a whole van that was given over to communications with the USA, and there were five teleprinter machines in there, and each shift had uh, one or two um, girl operators. So there was that much information going backwards and forwards. It started off with the uh, the sim- single-seater Mercury spacecraft and they shot Shepard in downrange for a bit of a loop and then Glenn went and did a couple of orbits and so it progressed from there. And the progression always was to eventually go to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was before Kennedy even said we'll get a man on the moon in the next 10 years. So, so there wasn't really a eureka moment. It, it had just always really. been there. Not really. That was always been there. Yeah. And then yeah. They, they had the 
the uh, Gemini series with the two men, and they started did doing docking and that sort of thing, which had to be done before they got to the big moon trip. Well, the latter part was we were kind of too successful. <laughs> okay, explain. <laughs> so that brought that brought the the project to an end. There was two things. One, we were hugely successful in developing communications and um, successfully completing the intended experiments, which were in bunched into about five different groups. At the same time, we had out of the four launches, we had two that failed. So 50% of the spacecraft in the project never got there. Well, one got there but was in the wrong orbit. The other one never even got there. So that meant, you know, it really we could not progress much further than we where we were with the hardware in space that we had. So it was at the end of the three-year contract anyway, so the decision was made, oh, well, we'll close Kubi rather quickly. And that's probably why there's not much history of Kubi around the place. It, it folded very quickly. And you all just went your separate ways by that oh, time? Oh, yeah. Um, some stayed in the industry and went on um, to Honeysuckle Creek, went on to Tidrimbilla and other places. Uh, me, I moved out of it, you know, and went somewhere else. I was in telemetry and command, and telemetry and command is uh, was a, the section. Uh, it was twenty five percent of the area of the complex, and it's given away to being totally uh, housekeeping and control of the spacecraft. So the guys that worked in there did exactly the same job to those spacecraft they were dealing with as an astronaut does to the spacecraft he's riding in. In other words, they're flying it, he's controlling it, housekeeping it. They do exactly the same job. But, of course, there's two differences. One is these guys have got their feet firmly on the ground, and the other one is I think the astronauts earn more money. <laughs> yes, uh, and there's a good reason for Yeah, that. there's a good there's reason There's a good reason, yeah. absolutely, sure. Let's hear that recreation again. Atsoc, this is Kubi. Go ahead, Kubi, this is Atsoc. We were on ATS-2 for a while now and think we could get some good Earth pictures. Sounds good. What are you doing? We've been monitoring the heat sensors and reckon we can establish the roll rate. Kubi, think you still locked on to ATS-2? That is affirmative. Okay, let's bring up the camera warm-up package. Roger. Kubi, enter command 022, select bus Bravo. Command 022, entered, verified. Execute on the minute. Command 022 executed at 17.30 even. PCM verifies. Bus B is on. Okay, enter command 034. TV camera 2, warm-up on. Command 034, camera warm-up is entered. Verified. Execute on the half minute. Command executed at 17.33.30. PCM verifies. Camera 2, warm-up is on. Okay, Kubi, we'll wait about 20 minutes, then give the camera a try. Kubi, this is Atsop. Atsop, this is Kubi Sync. We are locked on to ADS-2. Enter command 130. Command 130 is entered and verified. Execute on your mark. Command 130 executed at 17.55 even. Camera 2 is on. Wow. Look at that. Beautiful. The byproduct of what we did is in everybody's hand. 
because the communications explosion started on the applications technology satellite project that we were part of. And, uh, you know, all the digital and all the GPS, all that sort of stuff grew out of the technology, not only of using the signals to get your handset working, but getting the spacecraft in a stable orbit in space under control. We had to work all that out, and we did that. I mean, the, the big joke is that, that there's more technology in your phone than there Oh, is absolutely. Phone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was quite a story. And I found out uh, this year I went down to Canberra for the 50th anniversary of the Apollo mission. And it was great to sit down and have breakfast or lunch or dinner and, and meet guys like myself that sat on the panels. But anyway, that operated the panels on the spacecraft at the time. Never mind what the media says, these guys were actually there. And it's quite a different story. It really is. It was at this part of the interview that Pat told of a story he heard when down in Canberra celebrating the 50th anniversary of the moon landing with other people involved in the project. The politicians wanted cameras, but the astronauts didn't. Right. And the reason for that is it's weight, right? And the astronauts thought they could do this without television pictures for the rest of the world. And each camera weighed about three and a half pounds, I think, which is, uh, you know, and what does that mean? Well, if you add that to the lunar excursion module, you can't add more fuel to take it there because the tanks are already built. So what that meant is that when you added that weight to that uh, lunar excursion module, you had less flight time in fuel. So they didn't like that idea, but I think it's an argument that the astronauts were never going to win. Really, can you imagine the President of the United States and all the rest of them saying, oh, no, we won't have pictures for the rest of the world when you're walking on the moon? It just would never have happened. It just would never no, have happened. No, That's right. No. <laughs> so, But it didn't alter the fact that the cameras were only sort of zip-tied to one of the uh, panels of the lower section that was dropped down to give access, and it was taped on the inside of the door there. So it was really an afterthought to a degree. And um, what was the story where, because of this, they arrived at the wrong time or at the wrong place or something? No, 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 no. This uh, this came out at um, Canberra this year. The guys that operated the panels. The plan, the flight plan, was that uh, you know it would, it would take off at this time, and from the launch time, the whole flight project is worked out. So if you move the launch 30 minutes, then everything else shifts back 30 minutes. Or if you advance it, the same deal. The whole project goes up and down. That's easy to do, all right? So off you go. It was delayed because they had a fuel surge problem. So it was a bit later than intended, and off they went, and then they go to the moon, and uh, things went wrong on the ground, actually. Uh, Billa, the transmitter exploded and caught fire, while they're on their way, so that put panic into the uh, the atmosphere because suddenly there was little backup because the plan was originally that when they're on the moon, Honeysuckle Creek would look after the uh, command module orbiting the moon, and Tidman Biller would look after the lunar excursion model on the surface of the moon. Well, that's not what happened in the end because it uh, the transmitter blew up at Tidman Biller about a day and a half out. They sure repaired it, but suddenly, you know, NASA got a bit nervous. Where's our backup? Where's our backup? 
So the backup, they got four technicians and some receivers and sent them up to Parks and they fitted them onto the back end of Parks' antenna and then connected the signal that they received to the cables under the ground to be sent to America by cable or other spacecraft. So, you know, Parks really was a stopgap. And unnecessary, there's nothing wrong with having backup. So anyway, they got on the moon and the pro, the, the, the program to do it on the moon was they'd land on the moon and then they'd spend the next uh, five to six hours reprogramming the computers, which didn't have a lot of memory in those days. So when you completed and landed on the moon, you had to drop all the program that was controlling the spacecraft while it was descending to the moon and then load the program that would get you off the moon. And that took them about five hours, give or take a bit, you know. So when that was done, the plan was to rest for six hours and then walk on the moon. However, when the astronauts get on the moon, they reprogram everything and then Armstrong says, you know, there's the door, I'm going to get out and I'm doing it now. Mm. So that was like six hours early. Now, that's not a big deal to the program. You can shove everything up and down, but there's one thing you can't alter. You can't alter the orbit of the moon and you can't alter the spinning of the Earth. So suddenly, instead of Goldstone in the USA being a prime station to pick it, it wasn't going to be. It was going to be Honeysuckle and Tibibilla. So suddenly all things were changed. It it, it flew out. They threw out the flight plan. And uh, that's how Kubi became part of it because we had taken the TB signal from Apollo 8, the first time man left this planet and went to another one was Apollo 8, and they orbited the moon. Well, that television came back via Kubi Creek because they hadn't fitted television in at Honeysuckle Creek by then. They were still assembling that at Honeysuckle Creek because it wasn't supposed to happen until Apollo 10. So when they got to Apollo 11, suddenly uh, they had this signal coming up to ground to the switching station in Moree, and they switched it to Kubi, and Kubi took it and sent it via its own spacecraft because they knew it would work, and it was just another backup. So that's how we did the apply of it uh, on landing on the moon. But all the argument that goes on about parks and that, the first eight minutes was recorded by Honeysuckle Creek. Because at the time, you see, because of the they did it six hours earlier, the moon wasn't in view of some stations, right? <laughs> And, and Honeysuckle Creek on top of a mountain, and its antenna would come right down to zero degrees, all right? So that was fine. But Parks is a, a radio telescope, and it would only come down to 34 degrees. So they couldn't physically You're talking see all it. tech stuff to me, but yeah, I'm, I understand sure it, but people I'm sure other I'm sure somebody out there yeah. will understand yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah, so, sure. anyway. Sure. And 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 so suddenly this, this all changed things. So it was a run a bit off the yeah. cuff, if you like. Yeah. No, they're going to go back to the moon. Um, There's a good reason for that because there's minerals on the moon that we want, particularly in our environment now. Um, The best way to generate electricity is nuclear fusion. We use nuclear fission, which has terrible waste, and if it blows up, nuclear fusion is clean. There's no waste. But you need chemicals to start that off. You need uh, helium-3, and we don't have much. Helium's pretty rare on this planet. But that's not the case on the moon. Ah. So, so all of a sudden, America, Russia, <laughs> China, it's, it's, it's all India, again. Israel want to go yes. to the moon. A good place to stop, Pat. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. And we will leave our pod blog there.
please visit our Good Day From Oz website for some special imagery. Or give us a like on our Facebook page. And most important, come visit us again when we say Good Day From Oz. Thank you. (laughs) 